As the morning sun casts its golden hues upon the gentle slopes of Brema Hill, it paints an idyllic picture, a serene haven, seemingly untouched by time. Hiking trails veiled in lush greenery crisscross this hilly expanse, inviting wanderers to embrace nature's tranquility. But beyond the picturesque facade lies a history. Brema Hill was the location of one of Hong Kong's most brutal murders. Walking its path today, one might admire its beauty, yet the whispers of a darker past linger in the breeze. A haunting echo of a terrible tragedy. You're listening to Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast. Brought to you by MediaCorp and produced by 1UP Media. This episode may contain sensitive details and graphic imagery. Listener discretion is advised. On April 20th, 1985, Kenneth McBride, a 17-year-old student, along with his girlfriend, 18-year-old Nicola Myers, ventured to Braemar Hill in Hong Kong to study for their upcoming exams. Braemar Hill was this serene and picturesque location that was their haven for focused study sessions and tranquil moments together. However, that peaceful evening would soon give way to a scene of horror. Both Kenneth and Nicola had failed to return home that evening, and their absence prompted significant concern. The following morning, a hiker had found their lifeless bodies in the tall grass nearby. Kenneth McBride was found bound, savagely beaten, strangled, and bearing over 100 bodily injuries. Nicola Myers was discovered half-naked, with a shattered jaw, and her left eyeball dislodged. Evidence of sexual assault indicated that she had endured prolonged torture, with more than 500 injuries found all over her body. The brutality of the crime sent shockwaves through Hong Kong. The city had never before witnessed such a senseless murder, especially involving Western victims, which was unprecedented in the region's history. This unique scenario spurred the Hong Kong police force into action, initiating one of its most exhaustive and painstaking investigations to date. Over 800 officers from the local police force were mobilized, along with additional personnel from the British forces overseas Hong Kong, to comb through the crime scene meticulously. But despite a thorough search, the investigators recovered only a few wooden sticks, presumably used in the assault on the victims, and some scattered torn exercise books at the crime scene. Forensic examinations did uncover traces of semen on Nicola's body, alongside partial fingerprints retrieved from the torn books and the sticks. However, due to the constraints of technology at the time, the evidence collected could not help the police much in identifying the perpetrator behind this tragic incident. Amid the weight of two heinous murders with no culprits apprehended, the police grappled with intensifying public scrutiny sensing an urgency to bring closure to the case. Then several months later, they took an unprecedented step, 
offering a reward of 500,000 Hong Kong dollars, the largest sum in Hong Kong's homicide history, to anyone who could provide information about the murders. Mostly contributed by an anonymous Hong Kong tycoon, this substantial offering aimed to serve as an enticing incentive. Yet, the public couldn't help but perceive a tinge of favoritism. The Chinese press at the time accused the police of racism, criticizing the excessive allocation of resources and manpower to the investigation. They questioned the necessity of such extensive efforts, which sparked controversy and public debate. Some individuals expressed their reservations, questioning whether the government would have committed such extensive efforts if the victims had instead been Chinese teenagers from a public housing estate in Kowloon and not the children of British expats. Perhaps due to the substantial amount of the reward money, an anonymous individual swiftly stepped forward and recounted an unsettling encounter where he heard a man identified as Pang Shunyi reportedly boast to his gang about the brutal slaying of the two Westerners. Pang Shunyi was a known member of a triad in Hong Kong and had a reputation for being a bully. He was even seen to be wearing Kenneth Nike shoes as he proudly claimed responsibility for the heinous crime in front of his associates. Then, police discovered that the anonymous informant was a member of Pang's gang himself. He had overheard a conversation between Pang and their gang leader, during which Pang sought advice on what steps to take following the murders of the two Westerners. It's no secret that most triad members are known for their intense loyalty and tight-knit bonds, which makes betrayal uncommon. However, enticed by the substantial cash reward, this informant chose to defy his gang, revealing critical information for financial gain. In the ensuing 48 hours, police meticulously coordinated a sweeping operation to locate 24-year-old Pang Shunyi, the alleged killer. Pang was apprehended and subsequently interrogated, during which he confessed to committing the murders and divulged the identities of four other individuals who had aided him in the crime. By 11.30pm the following night, all five suspects were arrested and taken into police custody. According to reports, a total of five males were apprehended, their ages spanning from 25 down to a mere 16 years old. At this juncture, detectives were certain that they had the right people and had stopped searching for any more suspects. However, the five individuals wouldn't talk. Given the absence of substantial forensic or concrete evidence tying them directly to the crime, investigators knew that presenting a solid case in court would prove to be an arduous task. This prompted them to focus their efforts on securing their cooperation and obtaining confessions as their next target. During the weeks and months that followed, the suspects were held separately in various police stations and subjected to intense and prolonged interrogation. Throughout this time, investigators meticulously assembled the puzzle of events, reconstructing the sequence of actions and each role that the individuals played. Finally, 
Armed with a cohesive narrative, they confronted the suspects with compelling evidence, ultimately leaving them with no choice but to confess. Half a million Hong Kong dollars was the key that unlocked the tight-lipped code of silence within the triads in the Braemar Hill murder investigation. This substantial sum was an irresistible lure, prying open the walls of triad secrecy and coaxing them to step forward with critical information. In November of 1985, seven months after the tragic events, five individuals found themselves on the brink of a murder trial their fate precariously balanced as they fought against the current to prove their innocence. However, what everyone had perceived as hardened criminals turned out to be a group comprising merely teenagers and young adults. Other than a handful of minor offences, police had never heard of the five suspects before. Yet surprisingly, two among them were teenagers younger than their victims. Reports indicate that all five confessed to the crimes out of genuine remorse for their victims. After all, this entire experience was entirely new to them, which must have left them scared and desperate to do anything to spare their lives. For the first time since the murders occurred, detectives finally pieced together a full account of the events that unfolded on April 20th, 1985. On the day of the incident, 16-year-old Won Sam Lung disclosed that he and two others spent the day drinking and dining. Later, the group of five convened for a discussion. This was when Pang Shunyi, their leader, proposed the idea of stealing cables from government aerials for money. Their venture led them to the Braemar Hill aerial station. But due to the tight security around government-owned property, they struggled to gain access into the station. Frustrated by this, Pang suggested that they shift their focus to robbery instead. As they traversed the hill, they encountered Nicola and Kenneth in an isolated area. Assuming that Westerners would have money, the gang split up, positioning themselves on both sides to stage an ambush. When they approached the couple, they found that they only had a dollar between them. Despite their plea to leave them alone, Pang Shunyi disregarded their words intensifying the situation as they resisted. Kenneth and Nicola would continue to beg the gang to leave them alone. And this was when Pang's frustration ignited, plunging the encounter into a chaotic spiral. Due to the sensitive nature of this crime, numerous details regarding the extreme violence of the murders were either omitted from mainstream reports or altered to ensure a more appropriate presentation. Yet, reports from mainland China at the time delved deeper into these harrowing details. The Chinese sources offered a more comprehensive and chilling account, one that helped readers understand the true depravity of this crime and why some people still shudder when it's mentioned today. On the day of the murders, Kenneth McBride was wearing an arm sling due to a bicycle accident he'd been involved in earlier. But this didn't stop the gang from tying his hands and feet together, before subjecting him to brutal beatings with a wooden stick. As Kenneth fiercely fought back, Pang noticed the other members refraining from participating in the assault, presumably out of fear. He knew that he needed backup, 
so he proceeded to threaten them verbally to restrain him while he continued the attack. Then as Kenneth lay on the ground in excruciating pain, the gang turned him over and placed a wooden stick across his neck, applying immense force until he was motionless. This was the cause of Kenneth's death, and once Pang had realized he was dead, his attention shifted to Nicola. Reports say that she put up a fierce struggle against her attackers, yet endured brutal beatings that shattered her jaw. Subsequently, the gang took turns to rape her and perform other horrifying acts, such as inserting a bottle into her genitalia and forcibly removing her left eyeball from its socket. When she was discovered, her lifeless face bore an expression of excruciating pain and torment. As part of the investigation, all five suspects willingly participated in a reenactment of the crime at the actual scene, a process that was for the first time recorded on video and presented as evidence in court. However, despite their involvement in the reenactment and confessions to the murders, all but one entered pleas of not guilty to the charges. The exception was the youngest among them, 16 year old Won Sam Lung who acknowledged his guilt and agreed to testify against the others. Due to his age, he was ordered to be detained at Her Majesty's pleasure, which means an indefinite period of incarceration. In November 1986, the Braemar Hill murders resurfaced on the front pages of newspapers as the remaining four suspects were bound for court. The prosecution presented over 150 pieces of evidence, ranging from photographs audio recordings and video recordings to the murder weapon and piles of clothing recovered from the crime scene. Next, they unveiled their most compelling source of evidence, 16-year-old Won Sam Lung. As Won spoke to the packed crowd, he testified against the others, revealing the specific roles of each member in the incident. It was perhaps Won's testimonies that sealed the fate of the five accused. Following an intense 57-day trial, both the jury and the judge delivered unanimous guilty verdicts. Pang Xunyi, along with two others, Chiu Waiman, age 25, and Tam Sifun, age 20, were sentenced to death. However, since Hong Kong courts had not executed anyone for a long period of time, their sentences were automatically commuted to life in prison. As for the two minors, 17-year-old Chang Yao Hang and 16-year-old Won Sam Lung, they were sentenced to indefinite detention at Her Majesty's pleasure. In honor of the victims, the Kenneth McBride and Nicola Myers Memorial Fund was established through contributions from their families, friends, and school. The fund aimed to support underprivileged students across Hong Kong providing them with educational opportunities and assistance. Although the families of the victims have relocated to the UK, the fund's legacy endures, aiding up to 100 underprivileged students every single year. As for the five convicted killers, Pang Shunyi, the mastermind behind the crime, and his accomplice Chu are currently serving their sentences in prison. Tam Zifun, however, passed away due to cancer in 2009. 
Back in 1997, following Hong Kong's sovereignty handover, changes in criminal legislation required Chief Executive Teng Chi-hua to deliberate on the fate of the two remaining convicts, Wan and Chung. According to reports, Wan's parents reached out to the McBride and Myers families, seeking forgiveness on behalf of their son. In response, the families announced their forgiveness towards Wan and even appealed for a reduced sentence. In agreement, Chief Executive Tung decreed a 27-year incarceration for Wan and a minimum of 30 years for Chung. In 2004, upon release from Stanley Prison, Wan conveyed mixed feelings to the press about the forgiveness he received. He vowed to rejoin society and even managed to secure clerical work in a law firm through the government's criminal rehabilitation service. As for Chung, he was released in December 2007 and was hired as an inspection worker at a public utility. Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast, is brought to you by MediaCorp and 1UP Media. This episode was produced and written by Guangjin, edited by Alex, narrated by Jason, audio experience by Ethan Sam, additional engineering by Ashley from 1UP Media. Special thanks to executive producer Danny Cordy from MediaCorp. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next one.